0: Welcome to Climate Insiders, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of Europe's climate tech revolution, brought to you by Clementum Capital. I'm Johan Bernot, a general partner at Clementum, and I'll be your host. In each episode, I'll have one of Europe's top founders and investors, and we will try to understand how they think about climate, what has led to their success, and what are the best insights they can share with you to accelerate your climate journey. There will be a lot of terrific guests on this show and we won't shy away from spikes secrets and contrarian views to make sure you don't miss out on any episode and access all the insights you can subscribe at climateinsiders.co Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Climate Insiders. In today's show, I'm receiving Alessa Burke. She's the founder of Top Tier Impact, a global ecosystem of impact investors, entrepreneurs and professionals from all backgrounds and from 45 plus countries. TTI runs weekly impact investment events across 40 plus cities and during gatherings such as the World Economic Forum and COP. Early in her career, she worked in M&A at Goldman Sachs, private equity at Blackstone, Venture capital. Capital at Mosaic Ventures. Since then, she decided to the institutional life, and dedicate our full career to community building and impact. In this episode, we touch on the steps to successfully build a global network of impact and the actual results four years into this amazing experiment, the crucial role that communities have to play to give us a chance to solve humanity's biggest challenges, the importance of spiritual awakening, and why we need to take a profound step back from our societal dogmas in order to draw a more sustainable path for humanity, and why climate change is only the tip of the iceberg and a symptom of a more fundamental problem, our relationship with nature and with ourselves. Without any further ado, let's go. Alessa, welcome to Climate Insiders.
1: Thanks so much, Johan, good to be here.
0: Great to have you. Right off the bat, Um, I wanted to ask you a bit of a personal question. Uh, What was your wake up moment to quit the institutional life and build your own impact community? I mean, it doesn't sound like a straightforward move. I was probably coming with a lot of risk.
1: Yeah, well, actually, there was not that one moment that is so dramatic and everything changes, but it was very much of a build up. It was a build up over time. I've been uh, entrepreneurial since being 11 years old, um, and when I was at Oxford, I got more into the tech entrepreneurship side of things, along with having an academic background in system design, system change. So, you know, the overarching picture of impact and sustainability as a better paradigm for how our economy and our society operates was always, always in the background for me. And so in a way, I actually went into Goldman Sachs, Blackstone private equity and the venture capital space to build up skills and build up an understanding of how our world operates to then become entrepreneurial again. Uh, But as a grown up, so that is very much in a nutshell how it got there. And you see the way that Top Tier Impact formed, it was not meant to be my next company because uh, the community that you see is actually the platform. We have different business models sitting on top of TTI and uh, it really happened organically. So, again, it was a little bit the opposite of that dramatic moment where everything changes, it was very much like I am doing this because I see the gap, I see the need, and there is something within me that really cares about contributing because uh, it cares about taking impact into the mainstream. And so step by step, it kind of created itself and it created itself in a way that was better and faster than I expected until the moment where I realized it was the next thing that I was up to.
0: And can you give us uh, an idea of how big it is now, how sizable, And maybe what are the tangible results that you've accomplished in four years? Just to okay. give us a get of a, you know, how how that's. Uh, ins- insane experiment has turned into?
1: Yeah, so we can talk about the community part and then we can talk about the um, revenue drivers. Perhaps uh, on that side, you see, to to be clear, the community in the very beginning was something that I designed to be self-sustaining. So I designed the business model to cover one FT for uh, X amount of members. And uh, it kind of started growing so much more from there. Um, At this point, it's actually something that we subsidize a little bit with our other activities. Um, But the community right now is more than 500 members. We're across more than 45 countries. We're getting to 40 city chapters run by TTI ambassadors. Our Mm. members are investors across all stages and sectors with an impact focus, whether it's family offices and LPs or fund managers like yourself, all the way to uh, private angel investors uh, and growth stage funds. Um, there's a little bit of the more professional piece side as well, uh, but I would say it's more early stage. And then we have entrepreneurs as well across all geographies and areas of impact and uh, professionals, professionals actually coming more and more to, you know, at the end of the day, build this impact nation that we actually are. And we can talk about that. And what I mean by that, so that in itself kind of uh, developed a life of its own very early on. Um, The other activities we do impact investment banking focused on growth stage and pre-IPO companies exclusively across the global south and mostly with large DFI investors, development finance institutions. And we also have a climate tech startup. It's a software startup that uh, does climate risk management, um, leverages our reach, leverages our network, mostly in, in the UK and Europe. So that's very, very much in a nutshell, the overview. There's also something I will add very quickly. We do things where um, we feel there's perhaps a gap in thought leadership. So, for example, we have run uh, global policy forums on topics like nuclear energy in 2020, which was not very much talked about, or hydrogen in uh, green hydrogen and clean hydrogen in 2021. So every once in a while, we sort of identify areas that need to be covered a little bit more in the overall public uh, discussion, and we dive into those as well.
0: Well, thanks, thanks a lot for this uh, deep dive overview of all your activities. Well, let's talk about the role of communities, since it's something that I've been blown away at the speed and climate tech, the climate space in particular, has really seen the emergence of a number of communities. But it seems that you need to reach a critical size for that to become, to has network effect right? So that each node of the network provides more value to each member. So let's talk about, uh, you know, how profoundly important their role is. And I even personally feel guilty of it. I vastly it how important it is to educate people, inspire, and operate a transition. So from your experience, um, why is the community so important? And have you been blown away by, you know, things that, it didn't didn't necessarily come from you or as guidelines and emerge into something that is a culture now of your own community.
1: Absolutely. Well, at the end of the day, it comes down to connecting dots at scale faster than they would otherwise connect for clear synergies, right? Investments, partnerships, knowledge exchange uh, and talent exchange and beyond. And uh, especially connecting them in ways that might be across different stakeholder types, different sectors in ways that are not the usual easy transaction. So that is something that I think lies at the core of uh, the efficiencies that you create. And uh, obviously I think the more there is that diversity with a certain threshold, for example, for, for us, it really is about impact leaders already walking the walk, but at the same time, it's across all stakeholder types, across all geographies and across all sectors which takes a little bit more mastery coordination and uh, 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 if you want surrender, than doing it just within a specific stakeholder type or within a specific defined geography or sector. Um, But I genuinely believe that in this way, it recreates something that wants to happen. So I define it as an impact nation or an impact economy in the sense that it uh, creates a smaller concentric circle for those synergies and those efficiency to happen and to happen faster than they are, would otherwise do. And so, the mission of Top Tier Impact for the community part of what we do is to really accelerate the adoption of this impact paradigm in the mainstream, right? So, in the way that all stakeholder types interact, in the way that ultimately our economy and our society is operated. And, uh, you know, this is a high level statement, obviously. But we can get more into that too.
0: Yeah, I mean, let's, let's jump into it. So I'm going to share my perspective of as a VC and a bit of an epiphany lately of realizing that throwing more money at problems might not be the solution. Uh, it certainly needs to play, you know, part of in the in the in the broad landscape. And I think more, you know, um, money at at technic- technological innovation is certainly necessary. But I probably underestimated how important it is to educate inspire every piece of the, the pyramid, especially in the global south or emerging markets where it's going to take a lot longer than we think to educate people to just uh, you know, start throwing away plastics, uh, you know, recycling, creating a circular uh, economy, but also creating new habits and then changing every part of the economy. A community to me is really a way to structure, I like the way you're saying it, right, uh, concentric circles where you inspire a handful of people that are already, uh, 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 you know, awakened that just want to take a responsibility You sort of give them a, a, you know, a direction, the tools to accomplish their feet, and then they run uh, and then they inspire the next circle and then the next circle and the next circle. And I feel like because of the emergency, now that we're facing, that might be the quickest uh, way to operate vast change globally. Unlike, you know, investing in, in technological, I wanted to get your thoughts on this, whether you have observed that and, yeah, what, what what are your thoughts on the role of community versus... Yeah, diversity?
1: if you step back at the end of the day, I see it as a function of efficiency as well and evolution that wants to happen. And so, because again, I have a background in uh, uh, systems, I like to look at what's the overall transition that is happening here, but also you know something that I was asking myself uh, just before TTI was born was, all right, what's the critical path humanity's on? And then obviously for my specific set of skills and interests, where would I like to contribute on that critical path? And so when you step back and look at the way that a community operates and interacts, it really is about that efficiency creation, which is a function really at the core of how evolution happens as well, right? And I think that at this point on our planet, evolution is a big topic in the sense that uh, when you think about sustainability, uh, you see different paths that we have ahead. And, uh, you know, with all the technologies as well converging, I was just having some interesting discussions about AI uh, the other day uh, with some investors. So, So, you have a a lot of different things that are converging and uh, showing several different paths that are available. In my opinion, for an advanced civilization to survive and thrive, energy is very much at the core of how it operates, but at the same time, so is circularity and circular sustainability. In other words, sure, we could go to other planets and export our unsustainable models, but that's a finite game. I am more interested in infinite games that can say, hey, we have figured it out in here. Wherever we go, these already make sense. And I actually believe, and this is going to go a little bit far out there, so I'll, I'll pause it in a second, but I actually believe that there is a design, there is a a higher design that, frankly, we're too uh, like to understand at this point, uh, that in a way limits uh, evolution and expansion unless these things that I just mentioned are um, sorted out. So unless this inherent sustainability, uh, this circularity, and and these uh, uh, solutions around energy are found for a civilization to move to the next step.
0: How do we make this happen? So let's assume that we have a handful of humanity that is already awakened to this idea of circularity, bringing more sustainability at the core of every everything we do, the way we consume, the way we organize ourselves, et cetera, et cetera. How do we convince the majority? How do we make it such a no-brainer so that hundreds of millions of people just start operating this shift? Mm-hmm. Is it just one word, you know, one person at a time, or is it through maybe a spiritual awakening, just a global realization that we're profoundly wrong at the at the core? Is it uh, convincing the political powers that we need to completely reindex or? or uh, measures of success, not on on economic growth, but on on personal development or knowledge or happiness? How is this gonna happen? It's an open-ended question.
1: Yes, well, there's a lot to explore in here. And perhaps we can start with spiritual awakening, actually, because I see it as at a certain level of consciousness, these collective care and this understanding that actually it is more efficient to maximize for collective value creation than for individual value creation, which is unfortunately something still embedded in our current economic systems. But at a certain level of consciousness, this understanding of collective value maximization kicks in and uh, we could go and have a more philosophical debate about it, but let's leave it there for a moment. And let's assume that a significant threshold of people gets there, well, problem solved. We are not there. And uh, so we're not there. What does it take to get there if we are looking both at, let's say the spiritual path or a solution that happens no matter where the spiritual path and where this level of consciousness goes? there is a lot of translation and communication that needs to happen. You were asking me about communities before. We all have a community within ourselves. It's a community where there is a Johan that goes and works out. There is a Johan that is uh, speaking with uh, his investors. There is a Johan that is speaking with his startups. And so each one of us has a little community of different aspects of um, the lift experience inside, just like you see them outside of yourself. And so, actually, it starts with this communication within. And then the communication without becomes also extremely important, but actually is a reflection, is a reflection of um, uh, where we have peace and where we have conflict within, because um, we just project it outside. And so In my view, the translation work, the communication work between different stakeholders is extremely important because right now we have to coordinate at scale one way or the other, and we have to try to see reality as well as possible. And what I mean by that is actually, again, Reconciling different subjective viewpoints to aggregate them into uh, a very well informed viewpoint and I'm not saying the objective and absolute viewpoint because I do not believe that we are capable of doing that uh, at this point in time and so I think that you know these this is where communities kick in again right because what we are coordinating at TTI as well is this exchange and this reconciliation of uh, understanding, right? So coming together and seeing, okay, we do seem to have the same interests at heart. We really do. The path and the understanding and the emotions involved are different. So how do we reconcile for that? And how do we find solutions that bridge stakeholder types? Now, to get more concrete here, the public sector has a very, very big role to play. Because of course, if we said, okay, tomorrow we enact this law and No more emission. I mean, like, you know, let's not be too extreme. Our economy and our society would like going to complete chaos. But, you know, in theory, there are tools from a public sector perspective that are very much available. Um, And they have been kicking in much, much more than ever before. Actually, I see through our climate tech startup, ESG360, because our clients are large corporates who are mostly really worried about all the regulation that's coming right so even though it's not extreme it's very much happening and i think it's happening at a pace that is already stretching the system right and the absorption capacity for the system to adjust So that is positive to see, I would say, Uh, but there is much more education and much more bridge building towards the long-term solutions that actually matter, whether it's for LPs to understand what it takes for real impact to happen, whether it's for uh, startups to have a more resilient and uh, uh, um, I would say clear, like clarity-driven ecosystem around themselves, Um, And obviously policymakers, you know, so to bring the example of uh, uh, the the forums that we have run on nuclear, on hydrogen, it's such a different way of communicating. And I see that, for instance, also with the development finance institutions that we work with in our impact investment banking uh, activities, it's a completely different model than the private sector, than funds. You know, I came obviously from a private equity and venture capital private sector background. I didn't even know what DFIs were, by the way, to just to clarify for the audience, these are the funds of governments, and they can be an individual government or multilateral governments, and their incentives are driven by impact metrics, right? So it's actually a fundamentally different model than the classic uh, fund structure, for instance, in private markets. So it behaves very, very differently because the incentives have been encoded in a different way, um, which I guess gets us back to system design, so I will stop here.
0: Yeah, and and. I try to communicate it's a bit of a the aha moment that I had in the, in the past couple of months and because I, I think it's profoundly important for everyone to understand the what the why and not, not just be stuck in the what. So uh, the idea of the golden circle, right? Simon Sinek has written about this I'm happy to put links in the show notes of idea of communicating the why goes straight in your brain and helps you know convince people that it is just the right you know sequence of things rather than getting stuck in the what? And I think in the climate tech community, but IPCC reports and all the experts really communicate on the what, for example, we need new ways of measuring CO2 impact. We need to reduce uh, X amount of CO2. We need to innovate and bring technological innovation in X and Y sectors. And we we remain stuck in, 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 in the what, and that is very important. It has an important role to play, but for me, Going back to this idea of spiritual awakening and the role of community is we go straight, you know, at the core, we cut the chase and go straight to the why. And the why I think is profoundly important because uh, at the end of the day, let's assume that we were to solve climate change. Well, we would still have biodiversity loss, acidification of the oceans, rise in anxiety and depression. So all those fundamental core problems, they just not a CO2 related problem. A lot of people just associate, you know, and put everything and labeled climate change, but just, those are not connected to climate change. It is not a CO2 related problem. I think it's just a, a civilizational, axiological problem. We're just in a dead end. We've reached this, the, the threshold of counter productivity at the human civilization model. And I think this is why going to the why, asking ourselves whether the assumptions that we have of societal success or right or wrong because i think we have a lot of hypotheses and dogmas especially in the west and actually if you go to the oriental you know the eastern countries it's, they, they look at society very different but in the west we're stuck with dogmas you know economic growth uh, the fact that you need to work nine to five the work the, the fact that you need to work 40 hours the fact that you need to ask permission to take vacation the fact that you are. You need to do productive work all the time and honestly recharge yourself. And every research that we're reading and all the you know the, the 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 studies, for example, the Harvard study, seventy-five year old long, that demonstrated that the source of happiness is much more linked to the quality of your relationships then your actual status or monetary value and and wealth, uh, it's profoundly going against the dogmas that we have in the West. And so I'm almost calling everyone to take a step back, but this step back is just not minor, especially from the VCs and the LPs and the people that are at the top of this pyramid and that have really no incentive for the game to change. But I think those people, and I'm putting myself in this bag, I've even more responsibility to... Uh, reset the assumptions and maybe shake the coconut tree a little bit and say, what if, if we're completely wrong in those assumptions? Uh, And and so I wanted to kind of, you know, the way you perceive this, maybe there's a total disconnect between the way we perceive success and where we should be headed. And so the communities is just a way to empower those people to think in new ways. Mm -hmm. So maybe... uh, what are the steps that you envision maybe to convince, to help, to do handholding for thousands, maybe millions of people to think in new ways mm-hmm. about, and break down the dogmas?
1: Yes. And uh, I agree with what you shared, Johan. I think the interesting question here is, where does this start? Where does it start and how does it develop? It does start with the question and it does start with the debate, not the answer. There's no simple answer mm-hmm. here. Now, we understand the definition of happiness, which is ultimately, to be more specific, actually, is like seeking of pleasant experience, avoidance of unpleasant experience uh, that we have in common as humans. Uh, But there is something a bit deeper there, because like the study that you quoted, it comes down to connection connection, and I would add purpose as well, and we can get into that. But just to continue on track, the question of how do we change this? And uh, you were a guest on one of the Top Tier Impact Climate Tech BC panels last week. And obviously, as you know, we like to tease out the topics that might be uh, slightly controversial, but extremely important to be discussed in the scene. And one of them Is obviously the current uh, VC model, Uh, the structure, the time horizon is 10 years enough? Yes, no, why? How are the incentives aligned or misaligned in the way that uh, performance is uh, delivered and in the way that uh, the, the, the people responsible for it are motivated? So all these questions need to start with a discussion that includes People who are part of this design, right? And so this is where we step in as a community. Like we try to sort of like narrow down and bring the relevant people around the table for this discussion to happen. That really is the first step. And I actually believe that it's important to leave it a little bit of um, breathing room, right? Because sometimes I see some forced discussions out there. Oh, and then we do this and we do that, and the next step. But actually. This curiosity and this acceptance, tolerance for understandable reservations, worries, fears, like we're all emotional beings and we try to rationalize it as much as we want. But at the end of the day, I think building resilience for allowing this acceptance and processing, right, of how challenging it is to start to discuss and question our structures. That means change, right? It's not comfortable it's necessary, but it's not comfortable. So it really starts with creating these spaces. And then from these spaces going into, all right, we're understanding each other. We seem to have a shared view of the why, like you pointed out before really nicely. We have several possible solutions and paths on the table. What resonates with us? How could we go about this? And how can we mobilize the system, which also means inclusiveness by default, right? Um, Inclusivity at for me as well, is, is not just, oh, because it's nice. Actually, inclusivity just makes sense from all corners, right? Like that, that is how things can be truly integrated in our reality rather than, again, be forced and that uh, um, and then just result in other symptoms and, uh, and issues. So I guess that to answer your question again, from my perspective, yes, indeed, we have to question our systems at an extremely deep level, Is that easy to do? Of course not. It's like the individual awakening that you asked me about in the beginning of this call. Now, I don't have a specific, oh my God, that moment that changed everything story, but I have many friends who do. And those are very tough moments, right? Because you have to question your reality and the way that you've been living our reality. We are at a point as humanity that we have to question our collective reality and the way we have decided to live this collective reality Let's acknowledge that this is not easy to do. Let, let's give ourselves grace for that, and from there, start being constructive, inclusive, and use our intellect to move towards the why and what's a path to to uh, change things in that direction.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm fully uh, aligned here. Another point of realization for me is tra- traveling has always been just a, you know an awakening. And then if you go to the global South and you spend a significant amount of time, you know, in the last years, um, you realize that there's still tribal spirit, right? There are cultural values that are very not misaligned with the the West and that's for the best. And and I realized, and I'm uh, again, very much guilty of it, of this idea of, you know, that emerging Silicon Valley that, um, and this is a dogma that we should break. That you need to create monopolies that just invade every aspect of society, you know, west to east, and then dominate the space and just turn society into what it should be, right? And we sort of uh, say software is eating the world. It definitely ate the world. And we don't want that path to initially continue because it, it just acts as a unification of of thinking, which is setting the Western society as the dominant model, which is extremely extractive and probably at the root cause. Right of uh, of you know finding ourselves where we can we're we're so dependent with that model that we no longer know how to stop it. And the truth is, when you travel to the south, you know uh, the Amazon forest, but in Asia or even in Africa, these countries are full of tribes that just think very differently. You realize that the dominant model is not yet fully invaded yet. And they think in communities, in groups, in, in, in values that are very different. And mo- oftentimes, they're actually much more sustainable models. And so if you go back in history, you realize that the Europe, by spreading its values and invading and colonizing the world, has imposed a dominant model. But we've eradicated also much more sustainable tribal models that were just a lot more circular and, and could last thousands of years. And we've replaced that with a model that is self-destructive, extracting resources, and then clearly causing problems on so many fronts. Uh, what if we were to backpedal and initiate a bit of a, a you know, uh, a pullback and say, well, we actually need more tribes, more communities, more smaller subsystems, and not a dominant society just impose top-down a set of rules, which would go against the idea of. Uh, tech and VCs of dominance and imposing your, your set of values. So this is a bit of an awakening for me. I wanted to get your thoughts. Do you think this is naturally going to happen?
1: So let's talk about top-down versus bottom-up. So I wrote a paper on governance design, comparing different governance systems back during my studies. And An interesting thing is that everybody at the time would ask me, the first thing they would ask me is, so what's the best governance system? <laughs> and you see... That answer had such a dissonance for me or rather that question had a dissonance for me because, you know, the answer is not this one or that one. The answer is they all solve for the unique culture and values of each area and each set of people that they govern. Okay, and so when I came across blockchain technology, web technology back in 2012, from a governance design background, I was very excited because actually what I saw in there was a system to say, let's get as bottom-up bottom as possible because we can allow for governance at a lower, more individual community level, right? And so recreate more of that diversity this is the way that nature works as well. Having all of these things seemingly chaotic coming together, and creating this higher design. So because we haven't quite had either the systems for it, the level of consciousness, whatever it is, to do that so far, top-down is the easy individual solution of, I think this is the best, and that's it. But you're never going to know what is the best for everybody because you just have your subjective perception one way or the other. So and it might be very well informed, which is great, but it's still going to apply to a limited extent. So how do we actually have systems in place that allow for this diversity? Because the, the tribes, the examples that you mentioned, wonderful. How can we preserve that? Is that going to be perfect for Berlin where you are at uh, in right now? Not quite. Ideally, you could get a little bit inspired by that, right? and you could pick a couple of elements and implement them in a system that governs itself right? so that you build a more resilient, more efficient system for what you want. So moving in the direction of more bottom-up diversity that then converges together into a system that keeps on evolving and organizing itself um, is an exciting prospect. And uh, there are a few things on the way to get there.
0: And I'm wondering how to get there first, right? Do we need government states to move away from the economic growth dogma, which would basically let those communities, tribes that are non-economical optimized to emerge, right? I, I wonder what's the first thing that we need to lay, the first layer that would enable a set of other layers to fructify and and to to self-develop I don't know if you have um obviously it goes to the is it a or b no it's a and b uh it just <laughs> is there one mother of all battles that we need to run so that the rest would just naturally unfold
1: I do believe that at the root cause level we are still looking at uh, consciousness uh, spirituality and uh, uh finding peace within to reflect it without so i do see that very much as the root cause and uh, to look at what the without means the without is our infrastructure our fabric layers right so our financial layers uh legal layers like everything that sort of like enables the system uh for the system to transact and be an economy or a society but um i do think it starts there however can we tackle it from multiple angles? Of course. And that's what we try to coordinate at TTI at the end of the day. And I want to bring up an example, actually, that um, I think you or someone else on the Climate VC panel of Dr. Impact last week mentioned during our discussion because Impact metrics and harmonizing impact metrics is a fantastic example of this. We're talking about, oh, can we harmonize and create a set of metrics that works for everybody? Really? Is that actually what we want? Or do we want a certain level of orientation to the why and the ultimate result to be delivered in a way that is not delivered today? And how does that look like, right? So that is a, an interesting little example, because I have followed that debate for a very long time at top Tier impact We also have one of our groups for members that has been discussing impact metrics, updating each other on, you know, obviously all the things that are changing out there and are important to keep track of. But really like, you know, this holy grail of uh, finding one set of metrics to rule them all is actually the same thing that we were discussing before, top-down versus <laughs> bottom-up.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And as just a way to, to, to wrap up this conversation, we could take this conversation so deep from a spiritual perspective, and this is so not uh, you know, covered enough uh, out there, especially in the, in the West. I wanted to, to make it sort of uh, practical, or not practical really, but in the face of all the IPCC reports, the expert reports, the near future horizon seems pretty gloom. And there's another term that is emerging is eco-anxiety. Right, you mm-hmm. probably felt that most of the listeners have. I've certainly been really um, troubled by this, especially in, in COVID times where you were kind of stuck and you felt like, oh shit, this we're not gonna, this is gonna turn nasty, and we're not any you know any way clear to a a decent exit to this climate change problem. To go back to this idea of spirituality and consciousness, is taking a step back and not be so outcome driven, and and saying that well, we just need to do the right thing. And the right thing is just to try our best and then to assemble those communities and dedicate our lives and dedicate our, our careers to helping this move forward and not be outcome dependent. And this is also another awakening for me is uh, it is important to measure things. Yes, it is important to communicate things, but it's also important to, to realize that um, it might take much longer than we think. And it's OK. We need to be uh, at peace, you know, reach peace of mind internally to say, um this is a battle that will occupy the rest of our days and probably our children and our great-grandchildren and and still find value and peace in doing it even though it's completely outcome independent i don't know if you have any Insights or uh, wisdom to share on that front to just carry on, even though you might, we might not be able to see the results of it, or we might still go down, trend downwards and hit bottom before it gets better.
1: Something very empowering for all of us to practice for myself has been uh, very big and uh, a driver of my growth, personally, professionally, uh, emotionally, on all fronts is uh, the idea of taking responsibility for the fullness of your life experience. So taking responsibility for the things that don't feel good, whether they're very individual and the interaction with a specific person or whether they're collective out there and, uh, and make space for, first of all, those feelings and also for an analysis creating more awareness of why is this the case and how am i creating this in my reality so how am i creating this conflict right like so moving away from a victim mentality and i think that these these victim aspect is often sometimes kind of hidden in these um uh these uh kind of uh, hyper objects right so hyper objects as climate anxiety right it's hyper like you can't touch it you can't see it's like it's it's, it's this thing uh and these big debates and so really sort of uh, stepping back and going like how am I part of this and how can I choose to go about it? So that's kind of like at the core of changing both the day-to-day experience of uh, growing within. It's not putting it as, oh, it's, you know, they are behaving badly or they are treating me unfairly or they are not doing what they're supposed to do, just bringing it back to the experience. So this is a bit of a uh more general kind of like growth related points uh but in terms of last comments that uh i can uh, i can leave i would definitely bring this up and uh we have a framework actually that i always recommend it's called 15 commitments of conscious leadership i have followed it as an individual for a long time i have implemented it uh, at top Tier impact in the company and the different things we do so i can definitely recommend that
0: that's amazing. We will definitely link that in the show notes. Thank you very, very much for bringing that up. Alyssa, um, we're running out of time, but it's been great. Thank you so much for being open, also vulnerable. It is important. Those are important conversations. Again, uh, it seems like too often the content resides on the what, the measurements, the stats, the growth, and not so much the why. So I really appreciate taking this time to talk about the why. So thanks for this awesome conversation.
1: Great chat, Johan, thank you.
0: And to all of you guys, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. We have an amazing lineup coming up. Until next time, thanks for tuning in. Ciao. Thanks for listening to another episode of Climate Insiders, the leading climate tech podcast in Europe. If you've enjoyed this, be sure to subscribe at climateinsiders.co. Climate Insiders is brought to you by Clementum Capital, a late C to Series A climate tech VC. To learn more by Clementum Capital, apply for funding, or become an LP, visit clementum.com.